attacks of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Howdy, how's it going? And as always, <laughs> way to sound really excited there, <laughs> Nadia. Jeez, what, are you okay over there? Yeah, it's just a really cloudy blood day over here. Oh my gosh, well, I hope you feel better soon. I mean, talking about RPGs always kind of like winds me up a little bit. So It does cheer me up, so I'm glad for this. Like, I'll be feeling kind of like, too much work. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, RPGs, RPGs, RPGs. And as always, we talk about RPGs, big and small, Western, Eastern. We love them very, very much. And this week, we're going to be talking about a surfeit of RPG news. Um, We have the next RPG from the Tokyo RPG Factory, a game whose name I can't even pronounce... Uh, I've been calling it Lost Sphere, even though it's probably something like Lost Pear. Lost Pear. Oh, no, I lost my pear. Mom. <laughs> and we will be comparing it to their previous effort, which was um, that one game that's name I can't... Oh, Setsuna. I am Setsuna. I am Setsuna. <laughs> <laughs> it made such Setsuna. an impression on me that I can barely remember its name. But Nadia has some thoughts on that. We'll talk a little bit about Indivisible coming out on the Nintendo Switch. I, I am actually pretty excited about this one nadia it's looking real gorgeous and mm-hmm. we'll talk about monster hunter xx also coming out on the switch which i contend is actually a very big deal and mm-hmm. if it is comes out along with pokemon we will be in real good shape yeah we'll be in really good shape holy moly and especially if we get like a uh well i don't know when persona update would be coming to the switch if at all but probably persona not five crimson soon. what's that persona five crimson <laughs> persona five crimson and black I would give it two years. Okay, so Monster Hunter first. Depends on whether or not it actually turns out to be, you know, like... Depends on whether the Switch can keep up its momentum. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that Atlas is already looking at it. Mm -hmm. Because they always do this. Like, they did it with Persona 3. They released Persona 3 Fez. And then Persona 3 Portable. And then Persona 4, of course, got Persona 4 Golden. Mm -hmm. Though it didn't get a... It did not get a second version on the PS2. It got ported to the Vita. Mm-hmm. So, but and it took um a couple years to eventually make it over to the Vita, or no, like four years, four yeah, or five years. Yeah, it didn't come out until like 2012. So, uh, so we'll we'll have to wait a little bit on that one. So I don't know Persona Five Crimson in like two years, but yeah, we're not going to be talking about Persona this week or Chrono Trigger. I'm sorry. Probably next week though. I'm failed. <laughs> I am fail. I'm bowing. I'm bowing in, like, uh, uh, contriteness. Um, I have been kind of playing a lot of Heroes of the Storm the past week, and that's Mm. been taking up most of my efforts. Um, Yes, a stupid MOBA is taking up (laughs) all of my RPG time. That could be better spent playing, say, Persona 5 or uh, Chrono Trigger. But you know what? Like, sometimes when you're not reviewing a game, you just need to sit back and relax and play a game that you actually want to play. Yeah. As opposed to playing the games that you feel obligated to play. And for me, that has been going online and playing some uh, Heroes of the Storm. Yeah, oh, you deserve to unwind, Kat. Yeah, that, I mean, playing RPGs is unwinding for me, usually. But I don't know, like, Persona 5, it feels like kind of like a commitment right now for me <laughs> well it is a bit of a commitment i mean it's a good commitment but uh god i'm like 70 hours in and i'm on like november 
Oh my god. See, you're so far. I feel so ashamed. Like you're so <laughs> far ahead. Well, this we're going like, to totally switch crazy. roles for uh, the Persona report. I, I guess so. Um, I mean, I suppose this summer, like, we could probably do a Persona 5 postmortem. One of those postmortems that we've always been promising. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I got you, I got Katie, and then I got a friend of mine, Steve, who's been on the show before, who, oh my gosh, he has some fiery takes about oh, Persona boy. 5. He, really? He, he's not a fan. Not a fan, really? Now, that, yeah. that's just weird to me. Cause I because just love you're, it. You're, you're loving it. Yeah. Yeah, and you're loving Katie it. Katie loved it. Katie loved it, but uh persona 5 is coming out on the switch eventually maybe we hope but one game that has been confirmed for the switch is indivisible um have you heard of this one nadia i've heard of it but you're gonna have to tell me more about it sure and i will tell the audience about it too (laughs) indivisible is an indie game by the people who did Skullgirls. Skullgirls, of course is a fighting game Mm -hmm. um that has a really nice anime graphics um it's mostly best known for being really attractive very like having really nice hand-drawn graphics i think i know this game i was it back to was it on kickstarter uh are we talking about indivisible or are we talking about Skullgirls? no Skullgirls. no indivisible uh indivisible was on indiegogo okay i think i might have backed it or something because <laughs> <laughs> I, I seem to remember the, the graphics and they were just really gorgeous and they had these really interesting character designs and i thought it looked really cool yeah 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 no it I, I was the same way. So it's like basically my dream game, okay? Mm-hmm. Because not only is it a handsomely drawn RPG by the creators of Skullgirl, uh, and let's be honest, okay? Like, I really wanted to like Skullgirls, but I don't like fighting games anymore. Yeah, th- there's that. Fighting games have been ruined for me. Why like, have they been ruined? Uh, okay, back in 1992, <laughs> fighting games were my favorite genre, probably. Like... Like, I loved Street Fighter. It was probably a top five game for me. Mm-hmm. I adored Street Fighter. Like, like if I could have played Street Fighter into the ground, I would have. It was just such a novel, beautiful experience for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, like, I continued to enjoy it. I really enjoyed Alpha 3. I, I yeah, played so a lot of Marvel vs. Like, my girlfriend and I, when we first started dating, we bonded over Soul Calibur and Aww. Marvel vs. Capcom 2. This was before... This was back when I could enjoy fighting games just as a casual scrub noob right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now every time i try to play a little fighting game i run into some jerk Mm. who like is way better than me and it's like (laughs) and if i like complain about it then i get like the fighting game community down my in my grill going well you know get good you Mm. you should be studying all of the videos by combo fiend and what's your problem etc 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 like it's just it's turned fighting games into an environment that I find not fun because yeah. it, and it just feels beyond my level. Like, like I'm not allowed to enjoy fighting games unless I can play at like a high level. And I find that incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I can actually relate to you because, um, I was someone who also played like street fighter two down to the ground. And, uh, there was one summer I had surgery and I couldn't do much of anything. And I played the hell out of street, super street fighter two on the super Nintendo. And, I'm one of those idiots who are like really into like the lore and the character backgrounds mm. and stuff like that. So when Street Fighter V came out with like no story background or anything to really you know get me interested in the characters or what they were doing, I, I kind of lost interest. And I-, I know they've built up the game since then, but I, I haven't really felt a compulsion to go back to it. And yeah, and of course that whole like toxic community. And uh, 
I don't really want to get into that. It's not even the toxic community. It's the fact that, I mean, it's a mental block for me. Like when I oh, play right. Street Fighter now, I feel like I'm playing it wrong. Yeah. Okay, I feel yeah. like I'm like going, I am playing this badly. I am not doing it right. Why? Yeah. Like I am physically incapable of doing the stuff that other people like I should be doing. Like I am not, mm. I cannot play at the level that is required for this game. Why am I even playing this game? This is a total <laughs> waste of time. No, I should just I, I stop right way. now. Yeah. No, and you're even right. when I beat my friends, I'm like, congratulations. You suck just as much as I do. <laughs> that is feel? the mindset that I take into these games. So mm. it's not entirely the internet's fault that these games have been ruined for me, mm-hmm. but I think it's a combination of factors. So yeah. as a result, I never got into Skullgirls. Okay, yeah. Long story short, you're <laughs> not into it. Bringing it back around. <laughs> I never got into Skullgirls, okay? Yeah. Well, Indivisible, I mean... Now it's an RPG. I can I can square with that. Mm-hmm, and not only too. that, it's like Valkyrie Profile. Oh it's boy. basically Valkyrie Profile again, but with like gorgeous anime characters. I mean, hello. When's it coming it's, out? Uh, uh, next year. <laughs> yeah, put that one on my calendar. 2018. Throw that one on the pile. But uh, man, I am really looking forward to playing Indivisible. Um, it like what they've shown so far. Like mm-hmm. you're kind of like a sailor moon-esque schoolgirl type character and you're i mean maybe not sailor moon maybe you're just kind of a schoolgirl, but you have like various anime type yeah. uh, tropes following you around in the party <laughs> you have tons of characters to recruit um really nice backgrounds it's um animated by like a actually pretty well-known anime artist uh, who's done stuff like kill a kill and that kind mm-hmm. of thing and when you're in the battles it's like Valkyrie profile where like you're doing the dialogue combos and that kind of thing uh, with your party because like, I love that term as you may recall like in Valkyrie profile like uh, one character is mapped to square another is mapped mm. to triangles um, circle x that kind of thing and the way that you have them attack and build up their meter is like kind of the strategy bit and it can be a little one-dimensional at times but it makes for a cool effect yeah so, now that you now that you mentioned what it is I, I i know the game it's just it was one of those games where i looked at it and i said wow that looks really cool i want that and then like of course since it's in development you kind of forget about it for a long time then it comes back to the surface it's like wow that this exists the world's a good place again i love that this game is on the switch i love yes. that these kinds of games are making it to the Switch. Mm-hmm. I think that the Switch is the kind of environment where they will flourish. Yes. Um. So, yeah, more like this, please. Yeah, absolutely. I will buy them. And, I mean, if I were going to play this game on anything, it would be the Nintendo Switch because it is a kind of game that I would like to play in kind of a more of a handheld portable environment. Yeah, I really, really with a cup of tea. Yeah, <laughs> with a cup of tea. Yes, of course. Uh, I've really because I'm a proper British lady. How, how, are, do you have any British descent in you? No, I don't actually. I have Irish. Oh, so do I. So. <laughs> well, Irish like Bailey. their tea. Catherine Bailey. Kate oh yeah, Page. yeah, exactly. Um, I apologize to any British uh, listeners and also to my cohorts at Eurogamer for that terrible, terrible accent. <laughs> I don't even know what was going on there. But I digress. Uh, another game that's coming out from the Nintendo Switch, Monster Hunter XX. Yes. Yes, that- which will be a port. It's not an being made port, specifically. Though, an upgraded port. Um, if I recall correctly, this happened with the Wii U. So mm. Monster Hunter 4, 3? One of the two. I think um, it was 4. 
I think it was three. Maybe. I digress. Yeah. It was an upgraded port for the Wii U. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could play it on both the 3DS or the Wii U. And uh, some people preferred the Wii U version. But mm-hmm. the thing with the Wii U version was that... You had I mean, to have a Wii U. I mean, <laughs> you had to have a Wii U version. And, of course, the Wii U did not have a good install base. So mm-hmm. not a lot of people bought it. Like, people favored the 3DS version. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, uh, yeah, the, it never really took off, mm-hmm. I don't think. And and then when Monster Hunter, the next Monster Hunter came out, it really kind of took off in the U.S. in a way that the series had never really taken off to that point. A lot of that was down to the fact that previously it had been on the PSP and the PSP. Yeah. While it has a dedicated fan base and tons of great RPGs, don't get me wrong, I loved my PSP all yeah, back here. in the day. On the other hand, all of my PSP games were imports. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except and my battery for, fell out somewhere. <laughs> I have no except idea for maybe like um, Final Fantasy Seven uh, Crisis Core. That was a yeah, that's a great game. But yeah, all the rest of my games were imports because it had a great import scene. But yeah, the Monster Hunter games were coming out here and nobody bought them because mm-hmm. like, PSP was such a it it became a niche thing. And yeah, it did. like you can yell at me for saying that, but that's 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 true. Though. That's the truth. So, uh, and then, of course, Monster Hunter came onto the 3DS, which was a much more mainstream system. And lo and behold, like, it became much more of a popular thing. Um, Yeah. Of course, um, Bob was... Not quite as big as Japan, but, yeah, it was still a lot bigger. It's a damn sensation over in Japan. Yeah. (laughs) It has been. It's one of the few games that can consistently sell well north of a million copies Mm -hmm. over in Japan. When Mm -hmm. you see a game that is selling much more than a million copies you know that is a very successful game because yeah. a successful game over there is a few hundred thousand copies. Wow. That is how small the traditional console market has gotten over there. That is so sad. Yeah, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Aww. But Monster Hunter XX, I think on the Switch, uh, kind of a perfect storm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Switch has been successful so far over in Japan, much as it has over here. Um, and... It combines all of the things that we're kind of looking for in the series. Like, uh, it's portable, mm-hmm. so it goes. It will go over well with Japan in that regard. Uh, the thing that I always found really interesting was the peer pressure to play Monster Hunter over there. <laughs> Player, <laughs> not one of the cool kids, cat. I mean, not just in school, but with work. Oh, really? Like your coworkers would go out after work and play Monster Hunter together. Oh. And you would see packs of people, like school kids in particular, with PSPs all playing mm-hmm. Monster Hunter at the mall, over at McDonald's, the, the, the whole, the works after school. Like, that's how people socialized, right? Over their like monsters. Have, yeah, like you're hanging out, you're fighting monsters, you're grinding, whatever. And it's much like um, playing Overwatch here or something like that. Right. Getting, getting together a group of friends and playing some Overwatch on your computer, but... So yeah, that social aspect is very important over mm-hmm. in Japan because online it's, I mean, it's a little bit of a thing, but it's not the same as right. over here. Like people are still doing the kind of the, the get togethers as it were. So having that mobile aspect, very important. And over here, like, I mean, it's going to be a, on the one hand, you can be playing with your friends in a kind of group get together, say at PAX mm-hmm. and, or like bring it over to your friend's house or something like that. That will be awesome. 
Yeah. I have a couple of friends who are really into Monster Hunter. I could totally see myself playing with them. Um, I've never really gotten into it to this point because I've always been kind of like, eh, it's kind of a grind. I don't know. I've always like, been wanting to. Like, I, I really did mean to play the, the latest 3DS version, but I just never yeah. got around to it because it came out at a weird time and uh, I, I couldn't get to it. But so I would definitely be up to uh, uh, giving, a, is it XX, double X, triple X <laughs> a try? I'm just going to go with XX. XX. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Double Monster Hunt or Monster Hunter 20, I don't know. 20. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be Monster Hunter XX. Um, I don't think Monster Hunter X ever came out here. I never heard of it. The the previous Monster Hunter. Um, yeah, no, it never it never came out here. It's just going to go straight to the Switch, I guess. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a mobile version that people got so pissed off because uh, <laughs> it broke. Like it was a I think it was a port of the PS one of the PSP games and it just broke so many of capcom's games broke on mobile once ios 8 came around and uh, capcom didn't fix it for ages and ages and this was a game you paid a lot of money for it wasn't a free-to-play game mm-hmm. so actually a lot of capcom's games back in the day were expensive and you paid for them and then they broke and they never fixed them <laughs> so that was a festival i've always argued that monster hunter never really took off here here in the u.s because it wasn't on like one of the major consoles like ps3 ps4 um, you'll notice that Persona 5 managed to enter into the public eye in a really significant way because it was on the on the PlayStation 4 mm-hmm. as a, compared to some of the previous games, which were on older consoles. Yeah. Um, the Switch is a major console in the way that the Wii U simply was not. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wii U was not. A, the Wii U was written off almost as soon as it came out. Pretty much. <laughs> Poor Wii U. Once again, it has its fans, but... But it just, like, there was a sense of malaise around that console mm-hmm. as soon as it came out that does not exist around the Switch. People love the Switch. I yeah. love the Switch. I love the Switch. There are reasons to love the Switch. I am full. I, I can fully acknowledge that it's half-baked in many regards. Like, we don't have mm. any sort of virtual console. We don't have, like, any sort of online interface. But uh, I still love the stupid thing. <laughs> we'll oh, probably for learn sure. more Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's not going to like even begin to reach its full potential until like next year. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're not going to get like major features into the fall. Yeah, <laughs> major, you're right. Major, major features. And Nintendo, they took that gamble and fortunate for them, it paid off. Yeah, well, good for them, right? Yeah. Congratulations on being able to sell a half-baked piece of hardware. <laughs> Only um, Nintendo can do it. <laughs> with a generationally great game. Yep, pretty much. But there's a lot of great games on the Switch. Um I've been playing Puyo Puyo Tetris. It's a lot of fun. Okay, yeah. Spectre of Torment, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. n- actually, there aren't a lot of great games on it. We've got Mario Kart, and we got, we've got Mario Kart, and we've got Zelda, and we've got... Yeah, I got a, I've got a friend who bought a Switch, but has not bought any games for it yet because he already finished... Or see, he already finished um, Breath of the Wild on the Wii U, so he doesn't re- really feel a reason to get that one. Mm-hmm. And he's like, eh, Mario Kart 8, eh, I don't know, I've already played that one, don't necessarily need it. And so I'm like, Spectre of Torment? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fun little games on there, like, just give it, a, give them mm-hmm. a try, and not too mm-hmm. expensive. No, he's saying that he feels good about himself because he hasn't been forcing himself to buy games that he's not excited about just to be able to mm-hmm. play them on this new console that he has. I guess that's fair. fair. Yeah. On the other hand, he he's a sucker because he just flew across the country with a Switch that has no games on it. Well, what would he do with it? Like, use it to hold his drink? I mean, he brought it with him. Maybe he just thought he was going to pick up a game, like, while he was here. But I, I don't know. Like, come on, dude. Get a game for it. 
I don't even what know what's he, going on. Did, did he take it like a trophy wife? This is my switch. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, yeah, no. So and so, Monster Hunter, like I said, it hits that sweet spot with mm-hmm. being able, being more of a handheld experience, but also. It's going to be on the TV. It's going to be on console. You're going to be able to play it with your friends, right? Yeah. That's exciting. The last time I played uh, Monster Hunter was actually on TV. I played the, the Wii version. Was that 3? Three? 3 Oh, something. yeah, yeah. You played the Wii version. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't play it as much as I should have. because mm. I th- You know why? Because I picked up, shortly afterwards, I picked up uh, Xenoblade, mm-hmm. which was just an excellent, excellent game. And going back to... Uh, Monster Hunter 3's kind of like segmented world felt a little weird so Hmm. yeah well hopefully it it rolls hopefully Nintendo rolls out like a significantly greater suite of online options before Monster Hunter XX comes out yeah there was the fact that the Wii's online was terrible I mean I I don't think they have voice chat at the moment for example or like (laughs) really a lot of things um you can just play over Skype or whatever. Like, you can get on Skype. Oh, like, boy, just what I want to do. What I would do is I would get on Skype on my phone with, like, my, like, headphone or whatever and just chat with my friend while playing a game. But, uh, I don't know, mm, like... Not really something like, I want to do. In-game voice chat would be nice. Um, yeah. Some kind Skype of, like, party finder, like, matchmaking, that kind of thing would be really nice for a game like Monster Hunter on the Switch, so... There are barriers to properly enjoying it on the TV. On the flip side, Monster Hunter uh, 4, if I recall correctly, was a really good-looking game on the 3DS. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to be playing that on my big TV. Yeah, I can deal with that. I remember it was a beautiful-looking game. And it was, again, it was a game I really wanted to play, but I never got around to. Yeah, I'm going to get some scale, nice sense of scale for the Mm. Switch and that kind of thing, so... In any case, so yeah, Monster Hunter XX, I called it one of the two major killer apps for the nintendo switch along with pokemon Mm. because these were two games that had never really gained traction on console before pokemon because it had never had a proper release on a console pokemon coliseum does not count i'm sorry (laughs) heresy and monster hunter had had been kind of a non-starter on console going back to the playstation 2 days it had always been Mm -hmm. really successful on the vita so or on the psp so and the fact that both of these games are probably coming out i mean stars like has not been confirmed yet i wouldn't be surprised announced during the nintendo direct um, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when with stars. I mean, they even have that whole marketing campaign, Look to the Stars, which I, I wrote about a few weeks ago and has some really beautiful merchandise. And I was mm. like, oh no, all of my money. Where did it go? <laughs> I mean, if they don't release it this year, it's going to be like not coming out anytime soon. So, mm, But I don't see not that until tw- No, there would be no Pokemon this year, which would be kind of a drag. But on the That'd other hand, that drag. would give them something big to push in 2018. So mm-hmm, I don't know. That's true. We'll find out soon enough. Yes, we will. Okay. One more piece of RPG news. Tokyo RPG Factory has announced their next game in the series. Um, it doesn't actually look that different from I Am Setsuna, which was their first game. Um, Nadia, you wrote a little bit about how their new game can learn from I Am Setsuna. So I'm going to kind of let you take the lead on this one. Well, last time we talked about I Am Setsuna on this podcast, I think Jason Schreier was with us. And at the time, I was not too far into the game. And 
it's not that I hate the game by any means. I, I think it had a lot of potential, and, and I'm still really glad that Tokyo RPG Factory exists and is doing these, ty- these types of games. But overall, I just... There was something about that game that kept me from getting totally engaged in it, and it, it's just... It's just weird, like all these little barriers of entry to really to keep stopping me from really getting involved. Like for one thing, I guess it's one of those games where as you play it, you you start off thinking, "Wow, this looks really nice. Wow, this sounds really nice," and then you realize, "Wow, this is the same thing over and over and over again." They just kind of copy pasted everything. Um, the 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 wintry setting again was beautiful at first, but like real winter, it wears on you. Uh, yeah. The, the piano tunes were beautiful, but then you realize, oh, okay, I guess all we're getting is a piano. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the biggest flaws, I think, is how the combat system is so one-to-one, like Chrono Triggers. And that's, I am Susuna, like, even if it was better than it is, matching up to Chrono Trigger is is a hell of a job, because it is such an incredible RPG. I mean, Kat, you know that firsthand. Mm -hmm. So I think they're really kind of discounting themselves by trying to be so by trying so hard to be like Chrono Trigger um I feel like they they should have maybe even like a more traditional battle system like gone with that instead just you know something that tells me okay this is a traditional RPG that's fine but don't remind me of Chrono Trigger because I'm going to be comparing you to Chrono Trigger (laughs) and you don't want that I mean it wasn't a horrible idea to bring back like say the battle system and that kind of thing Um, yeah uh, you wrote in your What It Can Learn from uh, I Am Setsuna. I Am Setsuna's main character is as blank as a white sheet after a laundry day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds like something I'd write. Uh, yes. the, the comparison I made, and I think is really, really apt, uh, Archive of Our Own is, a, of course, a fan fiction archive of like adult fan fiction or regular fan fiction as well, just stuff oriented around fandom. And people will make fan fiction out of anything. And there is nothing nothing about I Am Setsuna, which goes to show how bland and boring its characters are. That's just really detrimental. Didn't you say that there was some, like, really obscure thing having, like, 1,200 fanfics or something like that? <laughs> There's Lazy Town. It's, like, I don't know if it counts as obscure anymore, but it just has, you know, that t- it's a show with, like, Sporticus and Robbie Rotten, and it's, I like... I have never heard of You Lazy never heard Town. of it? You know, it no. It, I know it became a meme at some point, but it's basically, like it's huge in the yaoi community because people like to ship Spartacus and Robbie Rotten. And I mean, okay. I, have a, I have a really good friend who writes for a living and she's really good and she writes fan fiction about Robbie Rotten and Spartacus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the point is, yes, this, this, this fandom has like 1,200 fan fictions and more added every day and Ender, who, who is, I, th- I love his design. I think it's really compelling. But he's just like a really boring character. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. Um, He's rather cold and detached from his fellow party members. Yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, Chrono was a silent protagonist, but he was very uh, expressive. Yes, exactly. Um, even like those simple sprites, you could kind of convey. Like, don't, don't get me wrong, he wasn't like Shakespearean or anything like that. But Chrono has, you know, a certain sense of of justice to him. Like, I mean, he there's that whole bit with the, you know, that happens at the the Ocean Palace. I won't say what happens, even though you probably know it very well by now. Um, He's just a really likable character. And the same thing with Link. I mean, Link in, like, A Link to the Past, of course, he's kind of blank and the same in the original Zelda as well. But by Skyward Sword, like, he was emoting quite well. Um, he emotes in Breath of the Wild. He doesn't talk, but he doesn't really need to. No, I mean, like, Breath of the Wild, Breath of the Wild was a very emotive game, especially mm-hmm. during the cutscenes. Exactly. Um, God, I love the 
I love the flashbacks in that game. No, the voice acting isn't super great, but I liked learning about Link's kind of fraught relationship with Zelda, like piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like his relationship to the various characters and everything and like how they were going to deal with the impending doom and all that. Like, yeah, I really was- wanted to learn about it because the game was dishing it out in kind of small doses. And there yeah. was an emotional core there. Zelda's frustration with Link because Link was totally overshadowing her. He's like, yeah. I don't need you, hero. Go away. Go oh, away. God, he's doing something awesome again. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, the relationship, the relationship is kind of cute, I have to say. Um, you know what? I don't find Zelda's voice acting all that bad in, in, yeah, in Breath bad. of the Wild. It's not terrible. I don't know. I can kind of get the feeling that she's just like really worn out and weary of the whole thing, and I, I, can, I can't blame her for that. Oh, Link. Okay. <laughs> You said, I am Setsuna's cooking feature is cold and ap- unappetizing. Yeah, because it's like, one of the comparisons I made was to uh, Odin Sphere, which of course has mm. these like really big, delicious looking dishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see anything at all like that in I am Setsuna. And this is a game where, you know, there's a lot of potential to have like fun little dishes. Like it's a, it's a winter game. I mean, Kat, you live in a winter environment. You know how, does, does, you lived in Michigan, right? No, I lived in Minnesota. Minnesota. It's an M. It's an M. It's cold. What do you want from me? Come on, Nadia. They're very different states. Okay. Does does One Minnesota... had Michael Moore come from it? I mean... Oh, shit. That's right. Yes. Does Does Minnesota have a lot of, like, coffee shops and stuff like that? It does, yes. Okay. Because uh, like, it's one thing a friend of mine from the southern states, from Texas, came up to Canada, uh, Toronto, and he's like, you guys have so many friggin' coffee shops here. And they're all, like, and they don't just serve coffee. They serve, like, you know, soup and stew and sandwiches, mm-hmm. like, you know, just hot food. And these places are always packed, especially in winter, which, you know, winter is dark, it's long, it's cold. That's where people get yep. together to socialize. So you could have had something like that going on in um, I Am Satsuna, like, you know, these really nice kind of soups and stews and stuff you could cook. It's a very small thing, but it, you know, going back to Odin Sphere, it adds a lot sure. of personality. Or it's like the soup in Twilight Princess. Oh, God, the soup was the best. You immediately feel warm inside, right? Yeah, because... even even though the, the soup has like, what are it, like fish and pumpkins and cheese. <laughs> Yum. So when you're growing up, obviously in a super cold winter environment, you have a lot of very hot stews. And having a hot stew in the middle of winter is your own little slice of heaven, right? Yeah, very much um, so. If you permit me to rant, like, yes, you're right. Uh, Minnesota has a ton of coffee shops, especially in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And one of the nicest things is you walk into a place like On Common Grounds and it gets cozy. Exactly. It gets cozy in a way that San Francisco does not. Yes. San Francisco has hip. It has Spartan. Mm-hmm. You're standing around. Like, there's not a lot of seating. You're meant to feel like you are lucky to be there, right? Exactly. Like, it's always packed to the gills. It's it's annoying. I don't like it. Yeah. Whereas you walk into a coffee shop in Minneapolis and you see these big, cushy chairs mm-hmm. that you just want to huddle into with your big cup of hot chocolate or cafe mocha which is amazing mm-hmm. and just i don't know like listen to music work on a thing look out the window and admire the snowy landscape whatever but yeah exactly it's it's the same with like tim hortons in canada except the tim hortons are always packed <laughs> like you can't get a seat no matter tim what Tim hortons like a mcdonald's though oh they're everywhere i know like my husband when he came here to live he laughed his ass off because he saw there was literally a tim hortons over here and tim hortons across the street and they're both, <laughs> they're both packed to the gills I mean, the Tim Hortons is like an unholy combination of Starbucks and McDonald's. I mean... Oh, 100%. 
Uh, Good chili, though. I, I wouldn't know because it has meat in it. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but to to get back to to get back to the video game component, I think a winter setting can be really effective because mm-hmm. it puts you into a certain mindset, right? Like, it really does. It can contrast really nicely with like your indoor environments. Um, mm-hmm. They can be like your indoor environments just naturally pop a lot more. They look more. Uh, they're more colorful. They feel cozy. You can feel the coziness in your bones. Um, yeah. When you go out, the lands, it, the snow makes the landscapes really striking and that kind of thing. Uh, a game that uses its winter environment really effectively, of course, is Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Like you associate those with like towering peaks and like uh, it does a really fantastic job of using its snow in a good way. Like, yeah. One thing I really like about Skyrim is you go into a, like an inn and it really does feel like, you know, a, an inn in a wintry land. You have like the big fire pit and the cauldron mm-hmm. of whatever bubbling over it and the cheese mm-hmm. that you steal and the yeah. idiot playing on the loot. Like, Run exactly. or play her loot again. So I am Satsuna. The fact that I wasn't able to take advantage of that is disappointing. It is. Um, and then, of course, you said... I Am Setsuna's Spartan soundtrack is pretty, but the lack of variety is noticeable. I mean, it is like 95% piano yeah. positions. <laughs> we couldn't afford another instrument. Pretty much. And um, I almost wonder if I would have preferred if it was... See, one thing about Breath of the Wild is the soundtrack is very... Uh, it splits a lot of people. Some people don't like how sparse it is, which I guess was Nintendo taking from Skyrim again. Uh, whereas you only had music when you had kind of big events or like really imposing atmospheres. And I almost wonder if that would have worked better for I Am Satsuna because just the this the silent, more quiet, you know, compositions for the snowy environments and like you know actually breaking out the piano in, in full swing for like when the when the situation really called for it because something something about the piano only victory theme really bothered the hell out of me <laughs> <laughs> hearing it over and over again because of course it's a theme you hear over and over again and there's nothing really all that victorious about a bonging piano. It sounds imposing. Indeed. Whereas, like, Final Fantasy is like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You never forget that. Nope. And then, of course, I am Setsuna's Magic Consortium and Sprite, Sprite Knight? Sprite, Sprite Knight? I, I don't know if it's Sprite Knight or Sprite Knight. I call it Sprite Knight. Uh, it invites a lot of direct comparisons, but you have a couple of problems with it. Yeah, I found it stupidly complicated for what's ultimately something you don't use very much. Uh, I mean, you you do, obviously, but... I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. Like you would beat you would beat enemies for you know like vendor trash, and some of that you would sell back to the uh, the magic merchants to make the sprite knight, which you would re-equip. I don't know. It was just kind of it wasn't like as simple as just leveling up with uh, and learning a skill, which is what you would do in Chrono Trigger. And I can see that um, I am Satsuna was trying to make itself a little like set itself a little bit apart from Chrono Trigger in some ways, but the ways that they chose, I don't think were very efficient. Indeed, but as as we're kind of seeing, it it seems like the uh, Lost Sphere takes the criticisms of I Am Setsuna a little bit to heart. Um, for example, we heard different instruments in the yeah. trailer. <laughs> Yay! Though, of course, that could just be for the trailer. They might it have used be for the trailer. all their budget. Yeah, uh, I know. I don't want to be mean here. They're working on a really limited budget. They and really are. Games making games is expensive. Like. A indie can cost millions of dollars just by itself. Mm-hmm. The concept of someone just making a game out of their garage, like it still exists, but it's rare. Like the market is so flooded, and the expect the bar has been raised so much for indie games that it is just 
you can't really do the minimalism thing anymore. Like, no, it it doesn't work very not, well. Not unless you want to spend like five years. Like I think that's what Stardew Stardew Valley took five years to make, uh, and that was. I mean, one guy. that's what also happened to Cosmic Star Heroin, right? Like they yeah. realized on the one hand we're screwed because we have to com- compete in this like really intense environment but on the other hand like i mean what we what they had to do to stand out like cost so much money mm-hmm. and so much time like it was ridiculous right yeah although one commenter argued that um the story uh you have to pay to get a good story and, and i'm kind of on the fence about that one that's something i'll probably write about at some point in the future um because, yes, I do, I mean, hell, no one believes more than I do that writers should be paid their fair due. But I don't think you have to be brilliant to write a, to write a compelling story. I don't think you have to pay, like, a Hollywood writer. I think they could have made Ender from I Am Satsuna interesting. All they had to do was a few small things. And, again, I'm not asking for Shakespeare here. I'm just asking for someone I care about. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So with that, that is all the RPG news for this week. Um, So now I'm going to have Mike Williams come on the show. He's going to talk about Elder Scrolls Online Morrowind. Oh, boy. uh, Yeah, no, it's a big MMO RPG type thing. (laughs) And of course, Mike is into the MMO. So let's go talk to him. All right, with me now is Mike Williams, who has not been on the show in a while, but uh, he is our MMO guy. He's going to be talking to us a little bit about Elder Scrolls Online Morrowind, which he's been playing. Mike, uh, a lot of people have been saying that Elder Scrolls Online, after coming out and then kind of being ignored by a lot of people, is now finally kind of on the rise. So as a dedicated mmo fan or at least a world of warcraft fan what's your take on that uh i i agree with it wholeheartedly i i remember playing elder scrolls online back when it first launched uh i never had enough time for the expansions uh but it, it was it, it it like had some of the elder scrolls ideas but it wasn't really like it didn't really feel like an elder scrolls game it felt like an MMO with like a layer of Elder Scrolls on top of it. Uh, and they made a bunch of changes uh, in the one Tamriel update. Uh, but I didn't play during that update. And uh, so I'm jumping back in with Morrowind. And it feels very, very Elder Scrolls from a general presentation. Uh, mm. The way the story is laid out, like, like, it really feels like they took Morrowind, like the original idea of Morrowind, uh, and transplanted it into a newer Elder Scrolls engine. Uh, so as a fan of Morrowind, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, they're giving it a really hard push in a way that I have simply not seen Elder Scrolls Online get pushed since uh, launch. I can't even remember when Elder Scrolls Online came out. It was a few years ago. Um, but yeah, they were holding like press events. Like they were like, they were putting it really front and center, which tells you that A, um, they really believed in the actual content. And B, they really want to kind of put Elder Scrolls Online back in the public eye in a way that it simply hasn't over the past few years. Um, so here's what I'm like kind of wondering. Like, first of all, like, what is Morrowind kind of 
Like how well does it kind of like realize Morrowind as a region? And the other thing is like MMORPGs as a genre, um, obviously like they had their heyday in like 2000, I don't know, seven, probably like all the way through like 2011. And then of course, like stuff like free to play MOBAs, that kind of thing started to really take over. Um, so like, how does it translate into kind of the current era where like MMORPGs are still have a dedicated fan base for sure, but aren't kind of the, you know, world destroying force that they were circa 2008. Uh, okay. So, so I would say that it translates Morrowind as a region fairly well. Uh, like Mm -hmm. seeing, uh, Seda Neen. I believe is how you say it. The the opening area, uh, like literally, you get off of the tutorial and you you're right there at Satanine, uh, which looks largely like. <laughs> it's one of those weird things about nostalgia. You're always like, oh, I remember this the first time, and then you go back and look at it, and you're like, oh, that it did not look that good. This looks <laughs> this looks like how I remember Morrowind mentally looking. looking. Yeah, uh, and the same is true when you finally get to uh, Vivek City, uh, where and they've taken like the basic idea and the architecture. Like uh, you can probably take screenshots side by side and look at it, and uh, uh, there's definitely more stuff being done, but the idea is still there, and it definitely feels like the original map uh, and the original region uh, of Morrowind. Um, as far as I've gotten, I believe it's missing regions that were in the original Morrowind game, uh, like stuff to the north. Um, I, I, I don't think they're probably in the game at all. Uh, perhaps that's more stuff that they'll add as additional content in this expansion. Um. But for what they have there, it's a fairly good translation of Morrowind. Now, the the underlying uh, part of the game is still, uh, as you said, like an MMO. Uh, so there are certain things that they have to tackle with that mm-hmm. uh, sort of undercut the original Morrowind feeling. But they're kind sure. of things that you just sort of... Like, one, it's all voice dialogue, like recent Elder Scrolls games like Oblivion and like uh, Skyrim. So the dialogue choices aren't necessarily as robust as they were back in Morrowind in the days. And that's always a, a problem that our uh, Western RPG companies and even uh, Japanese RPG companies have to deal with in that text can, you, you can come up with a whole bunch of different dialogue tees with text that you can't really with uh, voice. Um, the other thing is they, they've, with Run Tamriel, they've overlaid a bunch of systems that make it feel more like Elder Scrolls. Like you can steal now uh, and pickpocket and stuff. There's a sort of built-in justice system where if you get caught, um, the cities will put bounties on you and then other players can hunt you. So it's kind of a... Uh, but it, it feels closer. But then there's like the leveling system. So in Skyrim and, and Oblivion, you know, if you want to level swords, you use a sword. If you want to level uh, bows, you use a bow. Magic, magic. Um, in this, there's hard levels. So you, you, 
you kill things, you gain XP, you gain a level, you gain a level on all the stuff that you do. So, uh, I'm not going to come out and say, hey guys, this is Morrowind 100% completely, like, it's like going back in the day and playing it again. Uh, it's still an MMO, but it feels, uh, they, they've nailed the feel of Elder Scrolls very well this time around. So here's the thing that I find kind of interesting with Morrowind is that, in my opinion, by picking Morrowind, they are really targeting the hardcore Elder Scrolls fan because um, Morrowind, I think, really stands out in their memory, right? Like, I feel like Morrowind was, Elder Scrolls was popular, but it did not really become popularized. It did not become mainstream until Oblivion came around. And then subsequently Skyrim, Correct. of course, like blew up and Skyrim is still hideously popular. It's like re- insane how popular that game is. <laughs> so I find it interesting that they are going back and appealing to hardcore Elder Scrolls fans in a game that, to my understanding, was already kind of for the hardcore Elder Scrolls fans anyway. So what I'm wondering is, is the general player population consisting more of hardcore Elder Scrolls fans or more hardcore just like, I like RPGs and this is what I want to play? Or MMORPGs, I should uh, say. Hmm. That, that is an interesting question to ask. And, and, and I'll be perfectly honest. So, so I'm the MMO guy here at, at US Gamer, as Kat has already said. But I'm also uh, one of those people who, for the most part, in my experience, I will play solo. Um, oh, solo play. Yes, no. You're not in a guild or that kind of thing? Uh, not in Elder Scrolls. In, in WoW, I was uh, fairly a raider. And in FF14, I hop in and out it, uh, just because I don't have enough time between... Work Would you say you're more of a, are you a hardcore role player or are you just enjoying grinding the content on your own? I usually just enjoy uh, grinding the content on my own, probably. Uh, mm. So back in the day when I was hardcore raider into guilds and stuff like that, that was one thing. Uh, but when I fell out of that, uh, the wave of MMO caught me again when they started adding things such as group finders where I can just queue up and end up with a pug which may go horribly, but I don't need to know these people. And if I don't like them, I don't need to see them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but usually what ends up happening uh, in the more popular uh, games is I know uh, editors at other outlets. So when I'm playing like WoW Legion, I'm playing with other other reviewers from other you know outlets and past friends, same with FF14. Uh, I don't actually have that with Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, mm, interesting. So, so you're the only journo that you know who's playing it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's getting some coverage over at you know RPS and like PC Gamer and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I just like I've I, I don't know those guys personally. Like I read their stuff. I just don't know them personally. So and mm. and the folks that I do know personally uh, are still playing. You know. Uh, FF14 said, like, this is not their yeah. game. Um, Who's, who is it for? <laughs> um, That's what I, I guess was kind of wondering, right? Like, who is it for? I would say that lore-wise, it definitely leans heavily, heavily on uh, veteran Elder Scrolls players. Like, there are definite characters and situations 
that are callbacks to previous things that you will not understand if you are a complete neophyte. Like, not that you won't, like, be able to get what's happening in the scene itself, but there's an extra layer of stuff. Uh, mm. It's kind of like when, uh, you know, like when I watch a Marvel movie or something, like, there's Easter eggs and stuff that most people will just, like, miss. Mm. Uh, and this feels the same. But at the same time, it, it does, a f- the MMO mechanics of it do a fairly... A straightforward job of just sort of easing the player in. Um, like there's a very straightforward progression in play. So I, I, I honestly think to, to go back to your original question, they're aiming it at bringing back the Elder Scrolls hardcore because why wouldn't you? Skyrim uh, makes a ton of money probably still to this day. Um, and it has a very hardcore fan base. And of course you want to tap into those people. Um, but I, I also think that it's a game that is perhaps in my opinion, not as obtuse as the mainline elder scrolls games can be. So if I'm an elder scrolls fan, but not an MMO fan, should I pick it up? I would say you would enjoy yourself. Interesting. Okay. Uh, how does it compare to like World of Warcraft and that kind of thing? Oh, okay, so so let me say one of the things uh, like I, I enjoyed the the build of the, the world of Elder Scrolls games and the RPG elements. I've always hated the combat. It's just I it's it's not good to me. Um, so when a, you compare it to like WoW or, or FF14, I, I feel the combat in those games are, are uh, is better. So, uh, if I had to choose, uh, this would not supplant my, my two mainstay games. Uh, but it's a good, what's the word I can use for this? It's a good Elder Scrolls travel log. It's a very yeah. good Elder Scrolls travel log. Like, it's just, hey, you jump into this, I'd probably do the critical path of this, and then I would be done with it until the next content edition. Fair enough. Now, what have been your kind of favorite moments uh, from the Morrowind expansion so far? Um, honestly, revisiting old places. Uh, going to Vivek City and meeting Vivek again uh, in the throne room. Uh, he's just such a fun character. Um, and you end up, you end up working directly for him. Like he's like, Hey, good to see you. You look pretty important. Would you like to do some stuff for a God? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, that's, uh, those are the moments that tend to stick out to me. Like when they revisit and I, and I honestly think that Zenimax online is building the game towards those moments being memorable to players like you're like hey this is the first time i'm i'm back here i remember this place from the first time i played and like i said this is one of those things where um if you're entering say say for the first time it's one experience if you haven't played more one before but if you have played it before it's 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 almost like a homecoming. Uh, mm. So it's not bad the other way. I just think that it's more meaningful 
So here's my problem with MMOs in general. Right. And um, <laughs> the only MMO I've ever really truly been able to get into was Star Trek Online. And I, I think there's a reason for that. And the reason is that I spend most of the time in my ship, which I think is actually pretty rad, right? Um, whereas in a lot of MMOs, you are running through these hub towns, which are often beautifully realized, but full of people who are very clearly video game avatars who are hopping around doing dumb things, just randomly appearing uh, like out of thin air because they've just beamed in or something, who are like hanging around like a specific like hub area because they're going to sell some stuff. And that like totally takes me out of the game because it does not just, it looks wrong. It looks like a video game, right? Like, so the setting as a result, and often like in World of Warcraft, like the, the, the scale is all wrong. Like the characters look so strange next to the environment. Like the the environment looks really big and the characters look small. And that always drove me completely nuts. And I understand that this is a really specific problem on my part, but it's really hurt immersion. And while I feel like MMORPGs in general have always been about being social, playing with your friends, going on a really cool raid, like the co-op gameplay element. I feel like they were originally built on the promise of being able to do a kind of inhabit this world that you find really interesting and things. Um, Elder Scrolls certainly falls into that category. Knights of the Old Republic was another one. Um, And I I can't do it, right? I I can't do it because (laughs) whenever I go into like Final Fantasy 14, I'm like, this game's beautiful. Oh, that person's totally hopping across. Like, what? Or these people are like dancing like idiots. Oh, okay, whatever. Like, this is an MMO, all right. Okay. Yes. Uh, you. Uh, if that is your your problem, you will. You do. You won't. Just don't. Don't play. It's a bugbear for me, Mike. Yeah, it's a because bugbear. Uh, uh, some 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 games tend to do a lot of uh, instance areas for story related stuff. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online does not. So you will have uh, regions where it is a deep, dank cave uh, where, say, bandits or monsters are supposed to be, and you're the guy that's supposed to clear it out, but there's uh, X number of other people also in that area running around clearing out monsters. Uh, So if the immersion factor is a problem... Yeah, that the Elder Scrolls is not the game that fixes that. It is not the game that fixes that at all. <laughs> MMOs are so weird because, like, I feel like in some ways they've come a long way, but it's all been about like refining down the experience, the baseline experience that people already have. And I don't know. I, I think I'm looking for something different from a MMO. Maybe maybe I should just play Eve Online or something. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, so, but Elder Scrolls Online. I guess like the thing that I will say about it is that it has a fan base. It has people who really enjoy it. And it certainly seems to have kind of come into its own a little bit um, in a way that it wasn't at launch. So, and it sounds like maybe it's something that if you're really into MMOs, you should check out. Yeah, no, it's definitely sort of figured out what it wants to be. Uh, and that is an MMO that provides an Elder Scrolls-like experience, uh, very Elder Scrolls veneer, and uh, taps heavily into that lore. Um, 
but you are correct that a lot of MMOs have sort of been moving uh, away from more complex. In fact, I just played today uh, Secret World Legends, which is a revamp of the older Secret World, which was a very complex MMO. Uh, and this is a more uh, simpler, streamlined, player-friendly experience. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there are games like Eve that have sort of held on to their complexity. Uh, but I, I always believe that generally, for the most part, MMO audiences trend downwards uh, mm-hmm. as people sort of fall away. So trying to rely on a specific hardcore niche of players is always hard. Uh, so I understand why developers do that. Uh in approaching simplicity. It's really the opposite of Blizzard because, I mean, yeah, Blizzard has its own established fan base, but they, they're they all about casting the widest possible net, right? Oh, God. Wow, Legion, uh, Wow for a while now has had something for everyone. Like, they have an entire... Uh, uh, my significant other was, was playing and plays primarily there's an entire like pokemon style uh pet capture game like inside of wow and for some Mm -hmm. people that's all they do some people just play Mm -hmm. the auction house like like they try to streamline the entrance into those specific experiences but uh, yeah certain games like wow and ff14 uh that have been around for a while are games that you can never truly experience the whole thing hmm and that's like it's entirely its own community and everything right uh so uh pvp uh, for for as as a look into my review process is always the last thing i do (laughs) uh when i'm reviewing yeah I'm i'm a single player i'm a pve guy you know i'll i'll do the critical path of the story level up to cap uh dungeons uh do any raids if i can uh, and then, like, PvP is like, oh, at the end, I was like, oh, I got to play PvP, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, final thoughts on Elder Scrolls Online Morrowind. If you are a Morrowind fan, as I, and you're willing to look over some of the MMO elements that uh, bother, say, like, Cat with the immersion, uh, it is worth trying out is worth trying out at least i I think it will uh tug on those nostalgic heartstrings all right fair enough mike we can check out your review over on the site us gamer and in the meantime we'll see you at e3 so looking forward to it and thanks for a lot we'll be heading over to back to nadia for some quick reader comments so don't go away Okay, I'm back here with Nadia now, and Nadia, we're going to do what we usually do, which is the reader comments. Oh uh, boy, first that's big my favorite one. Part. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, first one is from Rider Kicker. When I played Chrono Trigger the first time, I went through the Black Omen in three time periods just to farm Mega Elixirs. <laughs> I know there could have been more efficient means, but what evs? Wow. Okay, jeez, three time periods just to farm Mega Elixirs. I'm trying to remember how to get Mega Elixirs. I think you get them from these. They're like these two-headed snake enemies in the. I don't know if you've been in the Black Omen yet. Have you? Or you haven't? I played? have not. No. Okay. Well, there's these two-headed snake enemies that you can charm them. You can get, charm the Mega Elixirs out of. So. 
Yeah, that's the thing you could do, I guess. Have fun uh, with that. Speaking of Chrono Trigger, I had a friend of mine request, basically. He said, please beat the game without Chrono. Because mm. he said that he's never had a friend who beat it without Chrono first, and he wants to see how I feel about that. How do you think I should do it? I'm trying to remember what happens, but uh, I don't know what your level is. I mean, Lavos is not an easy dude to go up against, and I mean... Late like, 30s? That shouldn't be too bad, I guess. Um, yeah. There, like, there are like a whole bunch of endings in that game, and like even just doing subtle things can change it. Like, I was going to say, okay, if you just smash the Epoch into him, you'll skip part of the battle, but then that might change the ending, so I don't know. Um, yeah, you may as well try. <laughs> I don't see the harm in that. All right, I'll do that. I will say, um, though, that one of my... It means I'm going to miss on, out on some of the um, some of the side quests, probably. Well, you can you can still go back and do them. I suppose I can, can I? Yeah, and I, I'm, I can't remember if you can do, like, some or all of the side quests without Chrono. One thing I was going to say to you, though, is uh, one of my favorite endings in the game is... Uh, you finish the game, Chrono's alive, and you smash the Epoch into uh, Lavos, and um, that affects the ending. Spoiler so. alert. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I knew that you could smash the Epoch into uh, Lavos, so. <laughs> Go to a party like it's 1999 and see what happens. <laughs> All right, Nuclear Vomit says, uh, do you remember that I was telling the whole story about my Shadowrun DM with the dog and everything? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, poor dog. He said... Cat, you should have told that frag face of a Shadowrun DM to <laughs> slot off. Goes out without saying that anyone would have leave food and water for their dog. Why didn't GM ask if you? Why didn't the DM ask if you or any other party member forgot to put on underwear? Did your <laughs> character forget to stop breathing while you took a whiskey sour? Well, your character chokes as it goes down the wrong pipe. I could see a really satanic DM doing that. I took a screen cap of that comment, by the way, and sent it to the DM, and he's like, "Oh." Great. Backseat DMing. Good. <laughs> Just what I need. I wasn't expecting to be, like, have my DMing critiqued in a freaking comment on the internet <laughs> at random. That's but great. Uh, I, 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 he let me keep the dog alive, so I don't begrudge him that. It, it ended up being a funny story, right? Somehow I'm reminded of, uh, have you ever seen that Jack Chick track, Dark Dungeons, where uh, it, it's like one of his most infamous works. Uh, it's like a whole Dungeon and Dragon satanic scare Oh, track. right, that one, yeah. Yeah, and you have this like really like sort of voluptuous DM named Mrs. Frost, or Miss Frost, like uh, <laughs> she immediately kills off the Thief character, Blackleaf. Like she just proclaims him dead. And of course, the person controlling Blackleaf is freaking out, but everyone... Every nerd who read that comic, that tract, is like, well, why didn't they just do a saving throw? How can you just kill off a character like that? You can't uh, do that. Uh, actually, um, they could do a saving throw, Ms. Exactly. Satan. <laughs> so I don't even know what you're talking about. So if there is a Satan, I would assume he knows how to play d and I really hope Jack Trick got fired for that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Lord Bob Bree says, Cool, another Gao fan. I really like using him when I play. He takes some work to get his good rages, but he has a lot of variety available. I still hope his concept gets reused in the future, maybe with improvements. Yeah, um, I really, I enjoyed Gao. Um, I mean, to be honest, once I, 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 Final Fantasy VI is one of those games I've played too many times to count, and in my later playthroughs, like these days, if I play through the game now, I would not sit there and and find the freaking monsters I need for Gao because when I was a kid I'd play the game and I was like determined to play it only one way I'd sit there for hours trying to get like the right 
rages for Gel, and I, I just don't have that kind of time anymore. <laughs> All right. And finally, our kind of email of the week is from Josh Anderson. He says, Kat and Nadia really enjoyed this past week's show, especially the discussion about Dragon's Dogma. Personally, I found it to be very enjoyable, and the ending in particular makes me think it would be an excellent Nadia game trademark. <laughs> For most of Dragon's Dogma, the story can be charitably described as slight, but the ending pulls a wonderful trick of taking an aspect of the gameplay that you might not even have been paying that much attention to and making it the central focus. If you're the kind of person who enjoys fan fiction, hint, hint, or you got really into that dashing shark man in Zelda, basically, if you're the kind of person who likes to fill in the blanks of a story with your own imagination, then the ending of Dragon's Dogma is one of the most fulfilling and surprisingly touching sequences I've experienced in a game. Oh, that's so, intriguing. There you go, Nadia. This is your this is your next game trademark. <laughs> I'm glad I have a trademark. That really makes me happy. I didn't <laughs> I mean, file people it. People like no, people know what you like, Nadia. Yeah, that that's nice. Um, you have very specific tastes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Although I don't know if I was I was kind of into Sidon, the Prince Sidon. Um, he was all right. He's cute. <laughs> I'd hug him. I'd definitely hug him. And by the way, uh, I, I mentioned that there was that crazy song, but I felt like I was going crazy because I couldn't find it in the OST. Mm. It was in the vanilla version. People on Twitter tells me tell me that I was not crazy. Oh, okay. Good job. Yes, good job. Me. You, you are so. sane. Um, there was one story I've told in the past, uh, very quickly. Um, I did once think I was going insane because of a video game, and that was... Um, <laughs> I was walking home from school, and uh, cutting through uh, my family's uh, house, backed out, backed out into a hockey, a hockey rink parking lot, of course. And I was walking through this, as usual, and I start hearing the Zelda theme playing in my head. I'm looking around everywhere in the middle of the parking lot, so I'm like, where the hell is this coming from? And I'm like, oh, that's it. I've totally lost it. I'm hearing the Zelda theme in my head for no freaking reason. Uh, it turns out I had my Game Boy in my backpack, and it had turned on. And it, I had uh, uh, Link's Awakening, and it was playing the title screen over and over again. So I wasn't going insane. And that was a very good day. See, I might have thought I was going crazy because of the Mandela effect. Have you heard of this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, where people posit that once the Large Hadron Collider came turned on, it destroyed the universe and put <laughs> us into an alternate universe. Yes. Where the Berenstain the Bears Berenstein became Bears. the Berenstain Bears. Yeah, but they were always the Berenstain Bears. And apparently people remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison, which is crazy because he was actually the, like the president of South Africa. But I, I digress. There's <laughs> a whole movie about it. Um, but one of, but so in that sense, maybe like Dragon's Dogma might have had a a, a uh, JRPG or J-pop track in the original universe. But in the new universe, it did not. Ooh. Makes you think, didn't it? But no, Twitter told me that. The Mandela effect does not apply to Dragon's Dogma. We are still in Universe A. And on that note, Axel Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. By the way, could you guys do me a favor? Could you guys go and review us over on Stitcher? So we've only got a couple reviews over there right now. And as a result, we are not listed, actually, <gasps> on Stitcher. Oh, my God. And I would really appreciate it if you guys could drop a couple of reviews over there, especially if you like the show. We always, of course, we always like hearing feedback from you guys because you guys are the best. So You are. Thank you. Yes. Please do us a favor and do that. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us all over the place on social media, Facebook, Twitter, the whole nine yards. We've been updating our Twitter and Facebook quite a lot. We've been mm -hmm. having a lot of fun with it, I, I think. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at 
the underscore catbot. You can follow Nadia at Nadia Oxford or read her blog, Tiny Girl, Tiny Games. Um, and you should check out Twitter, uh, US Gamer's official Twitter account, US Gamer Net. Also, Mike streams on Fridays now. He does. Yes, he does quite a good job, too. Yes, he streams around 4 p.m. Um, Eastern, which is 1 p.m. Pacific. And you can follow that at twitch.tv slash usgamernet. And maybe we'll be doing some more streaming and that kind of thing after E3 is all finished. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, oh my God, E3 is coming right up. It is just around the corner. I think I, I'm still in denial. I am totally in denial. Like I've been going, oh crap, oh crap. I got like a week <laughs> and a half to go. I better do like, something about this. Yeah. I got all my, I got everything scheduled. Um, like I'm kind of putting the last touches on everything to get to for the actual show, but I'm just like kind of like, breathing heavily because oh my gosh e3 is like <laughs> heavy breathing uh, by, by the end of the e, by the end of e3 week i am always so burned out mm. that i'm just like i i, I can't even deal anymore because like it's <laughs> a solid week it a is a solid week of just running around drinking attending shows taking events writing as fast as you possibly can trying to balance work with like networking mm-hmm. it, it is crazy but at the same time you see everybody you see all your friends and everything uh, the things that's gonna be even crazier about this year is that actual people will be there i hate actual people <laughs> <laughs> actual people suck they allowed the plebs in <laughs> <laughs> there was a I, the, I went for the 2006 show and um i was there when they let in the crowd to see the Wii. and it was just a stampede like a little boom, 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 boom. it was pretty great I went to TGS in 2006, hoping to see Wii, not realizing that Nintendo was not somebody <laughs> that uh, was showing at TGS back then. Oh, wow. And I was real mad when the Wii, like, was not really available to play. Though, it was kind of around, it, you could play Sonic 06 on it. Oh, boy. <laughs> but it was hands-off only. Really? And you could see people demonstrating it, but mm. you could not actually play it. Which was hella frustrating. You could play the PS3, though, and all of the crappy, crappy launch games that were coming out for it. <laughs> that was pretty bad, I remember Which that. I totally did. <laughs> yep, oh, that was a PS3. thing that happened. All right, so we'll be back next week, as always, and perhaps we will have finished up Chrono Trigger and Persona 4 Golden just in time for E3, so please look forward to that. In the meantime, for Nadia and myself and, of course, Mike, thanks for listening. We'll be back once again, as always. Until then... Happy adventuring.